Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. Today we are talking about Christian witness and what in the world does it mean to be a Christian. And I think this is actually a really important conversation. And thinking back on all of our podcasts up to now, we've had a couple conversations that have danced around this topic. Uh, but um, just at the heart of it, what is what is a Christian? But shouldn't we be always having this conversation? Like, I, I, I don't know. It seems like it's... We, we we talk about being a Christian a lot, but shouldn't at some point we talk about what does that actually look like? Yeah. I, I feel like it it's it's one that we don't talk a lot about, but I feel like it's one that we should I feel like it should always be before us trying to figure out how do we do that. It's something that's just sort of assumed. I was having a conversation with a man from my church uh several years back now, and he came to me and he said hey, this may seem crazy, but my marriage is falling apart and I had no idea. And he says, like, now I look back and I see the signs, but I didn't really want to see the signs. I didn't really want to look at it. And now I'm just devastated because, you know, my wife's been completely checked out and I've not been helping myself and I've just not really been thinking about it critically. And that conversation has just always served as an analogy for me. And I've always wondered to myself, what are the things in my life that I'm letting go that I'm completely unaware of, you know, like physical health. It's always so sad when like the person goes to the doctor and all of a sudden gets diagnosed with diabetes or like, you know, puts on weight, you know, and this type of thing. And then it goes to the doctor and they, they tell me you've got a serious heart condition. You know, it's like, Ah, the signs were there. I could have probably, if I would have paid attention, known something was going on. You know, and I wonder I wonder if we don't talk about whether or not we're Christians because it might make us feel uncomfortable. I There was once that I preached a sermon about um, Matthew 25 in which Jesus says, what you don't do for the least of these, you, do, you don't do for me. And what you do for the least of these, you do for me. And I had a woman come up to me after the sermon and she said, I didn't like your sermon today. It made me actually feel really insecure. <laughs> Just to your point about talking about what does it mean to be a Christian. And I I said to her, I said, well, that that's, doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right. You know. I think that we turn Christianity into do I hold the right beliefs rather than what is it, how is it causing me to actually be different in the world? And and I think, so we're going, you know, I think I mentioned a couple of times we're going, we just started going through Acts and and something that came out this this past week even was for those early followers of the way, these early people who were trying to figure out what it meant to be a, a follower of, of this rabbi Jesus, um, for them it was way more than just shared belief. I mean, they were selling property and bringing the money to the disciples. And, and it was kind of this understanding that back then the way you had identity and purpose was through your land and through how much stuff you owned. And these people as a, a um, an example or a, an understanding that now they're shifting their identity from what the world says is how much land you have and how much property you own. They're now transforming it to this understanding like now our identity is going to be in who Jesus is. And and so it was a, a physical thing, a practical thing that they did 
to say, I'm no longer going to invest in, once again, the world's understanding or how culture might view popularity or power or identity. I'm just going to get, get, get rid of all that. And it was a total life transformation. Whereas today, I feel like sometimes we think, well, if you believe the right things, you can still keep yeah. all your stuff and keep doing what you're doing as long as yeah. you believe the right thing. And I think that we've gotten away from, but no, this actually should cause us to live different, to see different, to act different, to be different in the, the world. And it's almost maybe like um, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and it's almost like he had this idea that he had all this stuff and he just wanted to add Jesus to all this stuff. And Jesus is like, no, you got to actually be transformed. And the only way that's going to happen is to get rid of all of that. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that, that, that we, and, but I think it will look different for, for a lot of people, but I feel like we've transitioned into this thought that if you just believe the right things, and you can regurgitate all the answers and you can say the right things, then all you can keep doing whatever it is you're doing as long as you believe. And, and I feel like we've gotten away from this understanding of, no, 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 this is way bigger than that. It should cause us to, um, to be different and to care about different things and to, to respond in such ways for the world and in the world that would cause this world to be maybe um, more like, more like Jesus would, would want it to be. Well, one of the things about the early church that's very different, one of the elements of the early church, both culturally and in the church that's different than today, is that particularly in North America, we lift up a value of individualism. Individual expression is very important to us. We, uh, we want people to feel unique. We want them, we, we have people emphasize their gifts within the body this is like this big thing everybody's talking about you know find out what your spiritual gifts are so that you can lean into it and you can you know know who you are well the problem with that is we don't lift up the value of shared identity anymore we don't we do not have a standard in north american christianity of what it means to be a christian we don't have a shared sexual ethic. We don't have a shared standard of generosity. We don't have a shared standard of hospitality. I mean, there's nothing. There is not one thing that Christians in North America would say, this is the thing that we all do. Even not even confessing Christ as Lord, you know, for some, because there are some people that care more about identity with the community than with kind of individual confession of faith. This conversation is coming up today because of a conversation that I had in my own life. And I just want to share it and then kind of jump more into this. Well, can I say also yeah. that we have gotten away from the understanding that to, to be a follower of Jesus, I think also um, calls us to sacrifice. Uh, we, we don't want to call people to something that may be that, that may cause them to have to give up some of their things, right. including time, right. including um, maybe money. Um, you know, we tend to focus a lot on, you know, or people think, oh, the church always talks about money. But I think that, that if we're going to be different and cause the world to be different, it's, it's going to ask something of me. And it's almost like we're afraid that if we ask people to give things up or to take on some, some things that I think that, that we're going to get into as far as how do I help the children? How do I help these families? Well, it's going to cost me my time and it, it could bring me some heartache. Um, 
It could cause me some some emotional pain when I journey with families who are going through some difficult situations. But we're so afraid that if we ask people to do that, then they'll walk away and not be a part of our church anymore. And and so we've made it this, um, we almost watered it down in such a way that that makes it just do what's comfortable for you. <laughs> just be comfortable. Right. Don't be offended. Um, don't, you know, like the lady after you preached, like if, if, if we come to church and, and, and aren't challenged on some level because we see who Jesus is and what he was asking of his followers and of us, if we're not, if he doesn't push us on some level, um, I think some philosopher said uh, we've probably made Jesus more in our image rather than us trying to, to, to live to the call that he have, would have for us. Yeah. So, so I had this conversation. Um, my wife and I, we have uh, been in the foster system in here in Lima for a couple of years for we're on our second year now and I've had several stints of foster children living with us and we were having we uh we had some kids living with us and I had this conversation with a with a lady in which she asked me do you think that all Christians should foster children which was an interesting question and I I said I don't I'm anxious to answer your question because if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to foster children, I don't want to say no. I want to say yes, 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 yes. <laughs> However, practically, there are people that I can think of that would identify as Christians that I don't think should foster children. <laughs> you know? Sure. So, but but when, but when I look at Scripture, however. I see James say in his epistle, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's Christianity to James. It's in one verse. Go look it up. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so I said to that lady, I said, that is like a really important verse to me when I can't get away from it. And so I'm always in my life asking the question, how am I engaging with orphans and widows, children that don't have a, stru a structure supporting them and marginalized people like widows who are vulnerable in society? I'm always asking, if James is saying, James who walked with Jesus, if he's saying this is the heart of religion, this is what it's like, this is what it's going to be, got to be. I think I should like take that seriously. And in my life, I should be orienting myself toward those people. I also... And there's the second component, holiness, uh, that I should keep myself from being polluted by the world. I, I think that my activities, uh, I think that the, the, the things that I spend my time doing should be nurturing holiness in me, that I shouldn't be giving my mind to garbage, to, you know, uh, terrible uh, music or movies or even like, you know, podcasts of stuff that's, that's inappropriate or that would be um, degrading to my to my mind, right? Uh, and so, so I don't know that, so to answer the lady's question, I said, you know, I don't know that you're particularly called to foster children, but I do wonder to myself, how is God calling you to engage in the lives of orphans and widows? And that's not my question to answer for you. I mean, that's your question. But, but I do, I think one of the problems is there's not a standard. In American Christianity, she can leave my house and say, well, that's fine for Jonathan to do, but I'm not called to do that. Mm 
which is nonsense. All Christians are called to a sense of pastoral vocation where we are to, um, Jesus says to his disciples, feed my sheep, right? And if you're a disciple of Jesus, that's your charge is to feed sheep, to feed lambs, right? Um, Jesus says in the end, in Matthew 25, we reference, we reference this text too much. Oh, I don't. I don't know if you could say it too much. I don't know that. Yeah, touche. Maybe we <laughs> reference it too much. I think we think maybe not we just, enough. We think it's so important. Jesus says in Matthew twenty five that at the judgment, at the end, people are going to say to him, "You know, Lord, we prophesied in your name. In your name, we cast out demons." And he's going to say to them, "I never knew you." Because the religious things that we do are not the things that are saving us. What we do for the least of these are the things that we're doing for Jesus. And this is a part of the gospel that is just incredibly neglected in the North American church. Yeah, I think that, that we, yeah, I don't know that you can do it enough. Uh, I think, I mean, we mentioned it before, but a guy named Tony Campolo, every time he preached, he referenced that passage. And because he saw it as that important, that every time I'm going to get up to preach the gospel, I'm going to talk about Matthew 25 on some level. Sometimes it was more than other, but he always referenced it. Because I do think that 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 maybe for some people it's not fostering um, children, but it's taking care of the widows or feeding um, feeding people the homeless or 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 truly participating in something with the poor and the people who are the prisoner. Right? It was Matthew twenty five and the naked and the thirsty and the stranger welcoming the stranger into your home and. Um, and I think that if we all did the fostering thing, then there would be another segment that were sure that were neglected. Well, sure. And For so sure. I think that's you know your answer was was good, but I think the call. I, I love what you said is maybe for you it's not the fostering part, but there is something. That if you're following um, once again this rabbi called Jesus, if you're following, um, you know the one that we claim to be the Messiah it's going to compel you or it should compel you to go where there's great need, to go where there's great um, um, neglect and to do something about those things because not only does James say it, but Isaiah says it. And, um, you know, I think Moses says it in, in, in the Deuteronomy and Jesus says it and, and it seems to, and Paul says it in Romans 12, um, so it, it's not just something that one guy says in the Bible and you take it or, try, you know, somebody's building some theology on one verse. It seems to be very important and um, is in the Bible a lot more than other things Christians want to pounce on. Um, it, it, it comes up so much because I think it's so important to God um, that we as people of God take care of those who can't take care of themselves. And, and I think that that as we are living, as we are doing this, once again, it's it's a theme that comes up through all of Scripture. And James, I think, is just trying to 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 piggyback on what that looks like, uh, piggyback on that thought, not because he's got this brand new idea, but because once again he saw who Jesus was and saw how he responded and saw what was important to him. And I think he's saying, hey, let's not forget. Like, I'm going to talk about some hard stuff like your tongue and all this stuff, but let's not forget that what this looks like and what is pleasing and acceptable 
um, to God is to make sure that these people are taken care of. Yeah. I, I love the book of James. I agree with you. I think, you know, James walked with Jesus and I think that what James does is in various ways throughout his epistle, he gives us um, handles for the faith. I think that that's kind of what, I think that's what he's doing. You know, um, Martin Luther, the reformer, did not like the book of James. Yeah. Because for Martin Luther, Christianity was about theology. It was about kind of a philosophical ascent. It was about belief and agreement with principles, you know, and I think um, I've mentioned this before that in his um, prologue to his uh, work on Romans, Luther says about the book of Romans that it's pure gospel. But the thing is, it's it's not pure gospel. Romans is a commentary on the gospel, you know. And when you look at the gospel, when you look at Jesus, and when you look at what he's calling people to, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. I mean, Jesus commanded people to give up their stuff. Jesus commanded people to take up a cross. Um, Jesus commanded people to follow hard after him. And he said it was going to cause division in families. Mm. He said that it was going to cause trouble in life for people, right? That they were going to be persecuted. And somehow all of our best-selling authors in North American Christianity advertise themselves as having a really cushy life. And it's just interesting. We have this idea in, in Christianity that if I'm a good Christian, I'm going to have a posh life. And Jesus didn't have a posh life. And Jesus didn't cost to a posh life. And so I'm looking around me in North American Christianity, and I'm seriously asking the question, what is our standard of Christianity? Do we even have one? I mean, obviously, I think the answer is no. <laughs> and But I do think that there is one, and it's one that's not popular. It's one that we're not pursuing. And so, I think so that what it, is like, how, how would you define that? I think that James is right. I think, do you want to know you're a Christian? What are, what are you doing to engage uh, with those who are, who are marginalized, who are impoverished, who are down and out? How are you making someone else's life better? Maybe that's just an easy way to ask the question. How are you making somebody else's life better? Is anybody else's life better because you're on the planet? Or do you see yourself as God's gift to everyone and they should be serving you, right? Jesus says, I have not come to, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Who's, who are you giving your life to ransom? Who are you giving your life to that they might know the sweetness of being adopted as a son or daughter of God? I think that would be number one. And the number two thing is holiness. I'm, I'm annoyed at just the worldliness and the godlessness of Christianity in America today. I don't flaunt, I don't flaunt my, um, I guess ethical standards around with people. You know, when I'm when I'm with worldly people, they know that I'm a Christian because I'm I don't I don't drink at parties and I don't make a big deal about it mm. and no one cares. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they like me because they know that I'm helping their town be a better place. And because I'm engaged critically 
And because I don't make them feel bad for, you know, telling jokes, you know, with sour punchlines or with curse words, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't know, lord it over people, but, but I, there is a standard of holiness that I think that, I think that Christians ought to have. And, um, you know, we're having a trouble here, um, you know, with a leader here in Lima who everyone knows doesn't have integrity. Mm. Well, so the person has no authority. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't be a Christian and have authority when everyone knows that you don't have integrity. Right. You know? So what do you... Um, I love how... I, th- I think it's really important, the point that you just talked about, how, like, not flaunting it over people. Yeah. But I feel like in Christianity, we we... And especially I remember this as a teen and talking to somebody recently, like we tend to pick things out that are a big deal, but then live into other things that maybe um, God wouldn't be, but it's not as big of a deal. So like, I think um, like yeah, give sw- an example, swearing. Yeah. Um, you can make, we, we think that, that, that using swear words and listen, I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go be, you know, foul mouth. I'm not saying any of that, but we've made that such a big deal to the neglect of, but I can go do these other things that I think God may be more upset with <laughs> as long as I don't use swear words. Or, um, So I feel like we have made a list of, and I think, but I think the reason that, that, that we tend to focus on those things is I feel like maybe if I can stop swearing, then that is somehow some ethical victory. But it gets me off the hook to then go and say, but you're actually called to invest in this person's life. Like it's it's a moral individual victory. Yeah. And it's easy to preach to say, hey, don't don't do this. That's something you can work on. But the call to but actually go be a part of other people's lives that that you don't know. And especially that may not be um, in the same socioeconomic class, socioeconomic class. They may have different standards of beliefs. Um, and even to the point that they may never say a, a prayer to invite Jesus in their heart, but it doesn't change the call that you have to be invested in their life and to be um, present with them in such a way that they do see something different about who you are. And then you don't make people feel bad, like, oh man, you're taking that, you're drinking a beer, or you're, you said a swear word, or you said, you know what I'm saying? Because then it becomes about um, a thing rather than a life that is being lived that is more welcoming to people, rather than making people feel um, bad or making people feel less than because they may participate in something that maybe you're not participating in. I feel like that didn't make any sense whatsoever. But I think, I think it made sense. I think maybe, you know, it might be a good example. So a, a person would, you know, would say, you know, swearing is terrible, but they would be a glutton. They would be someone who just lets their body... Or they would lie to get ahead in the world. Yeah. They would... Yeah, I'm not saying four-letter words, but I'm misrepresenting the truth in order to get an advantage. Which, and... Which is actually giving false testimony against your neighbor is trespassing one of the Ten Commandments and there's nothing about swearing in the Ten Commandments, you know. I'll take it even deeper. Maybe you don't swear, but you participate in a system that is pushing other people down that is causing 
this person to have less than or to be where they are because you're a part of this system in the world that is neglecting or causing the poverty that we see that's um, perpetuating a system that is oppressive to people. But you don't swear, but you don't think about, but how how is what I'm doing every day causing the very thing that I think would grieve the heart of Jesus if he were here today? Does that make sense? And, yeah. and we focused on the, but I don't swear, and I don't watch this movie, or I don't do this. I'm not saying those things are good, bad, indifferent, like, but then we participate, we um, are involved in things um, that would cause harm to people or the earth or whatever the case may be. I was, I was having a conversation, a critical conversation with a Christian leader years ago about um, the level of pay in the church and um, really kind of ruffled, ruffled this guy's feathers by just saying, you know, it's a moral problem that you're making six figures and you're okay with having people on your staff that are making in the high 20s or low 30s and they are full-time also. Like that's, for Christianity, that's a moral problem because you're saying that your time is more, that you're more qualified, whatever, is more valuable than them. I mean, that's just a straight like knockoff of American professional culture that has no place in the church, right? That two people giving their lives to the same church, one would be making $100,000 more than another. That's just nonsensical, right? Um, But yet we don't even think about that as sin. You know, we're worried about, you know, um, are our employees, you know, in Christian organizations, are our employees drinking alcohol or do they agree precisely with you know a particular point of doctrine or something like this and i um it's problematic i mean it's a, it's a massive it's a glaring problem and and this is why i really think that this is why jesus says in matthew's gospel many are going to come to me on that day and say lord lord they're going to call him by his regal title and he's going to look at them and be like don't be calling me lord i have no idea who the heck you are yeah. and they're going to say lord <laughs> We prophesied in your name, and we come, did, on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, we did all the religious things. I mean, we were the we were the front, we were we were the people on the front lines, you know, claiming that we were evangelical Christians in North America. And he's gonna be like, "Well, what you didn't do for at least these, you didn't do for me." So uh, that person on your payroll who was making six figures less than you, that was me. Okay, and uh, you didn't hook him up, so I'm not hooking you up. And people are legitimately going to get caught with their pants down at the judgment because we're lying to people about about there being no shared standard in Christianity. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that, that I think, um, once again, and, and we may have talked about it on a podcast a couple episodes ago, or who knows, it could have been three years ago. Um, it's interesting that Jesus never calls people to believe things, but he calls them to action. He never says, if you believe this and believe this, then you're good. It's always um, with the, the good Samaritan, go and do likewise. Um, go and sin no more. It's always, it's never a call, go study and learn all these things. Now, I think all that's important. And I think we need people who can can help us understand scripture and understand philosophy and what's happening in our culture and what we're seeing. Um, but it 
it's never to the neglect of what are you, how are you being different? How are you living in the world? And I think you're right. We have so many churches in America. And if the church would um, remember and live into the call, I think that scripture, that is a theme throughout all of scripture, um, like, listen, this, this could be a bold claim, but I'm not sure that we would need the government programs that help the the people that that need those programs. Oh, you're speaking my language. I mean, <laughs> this is this is early Nazarene ideology completely. There yeah. was there would be no there would be no need for government assistance. The, if churches, the churches used America, to do the hospitals, and the churches yeah. used to do yeah. the orphanages, and the yeah. churches did the 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 systems that cared for all of those people. Yeah, this this is gonna this is the stuff that makes me angry for the people that want oh boy, to say I, I, for I, the I people that poked want to, the bear no, for the people that want to say that you and I are like liberal Nazarenes in some way because we talk like this. I want to say to them, you've obviously not read the early Nazarenes. Like you're clueless. Right. You're absolutely clueless because this is why our denomination began. Right. Was out of was in a spirit of a group of people who said the church is the church is going to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. Like we're going to see the kingdom of God here, you know. Yeah, and, and and I think a lot of people don't realize the first Nazarene church before we were even a denomination was like to reach Skid Row, the people on Skid Row in L.A., like inner you know inner city L.A. And like that was the point. Like that was that was it. And so I just think that that we need to. Um, to, to, to learn how to tell stories better of when this is happening in our community because I think we celebrate sometimes the wrong thing. Um, let me see if I can give an example. Like a, We love it when there's arenas filled with people who have come to hear a speaker or come to, yeah. or even the, uh, the revival in Asbury. Like I'm not knocking it. I think that it was a move of God. I, so yeah. I, I think that it was genuine but we put so much emphasis on that. And, but the fact that, and I told this to my, my Sunday school class, that we had um, a family in our church who took in a child from our daycare whose mom was on drugs and there was abuse going on and they just took him in. And, and, but that's not going to make the news. Yeah. That's not going to get on Twitter. Right. That's not going to, um, to be on, you know, any of the national news networks. Um, but I think what this family did is just as big of a deal or maybe more than somebody filling up an arena to have a, a, an event of, of some sort. But it's hard to, to um, quantify and to, 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 to really give credence to those things. It's easier to look at the stadium full and say, well, see what they did. And, you know, and see all the people that came down to the altar and see what, and, and so I don't know how you change that narrative. I don't know how you change that understanding. Um, but it does seem like that once again, the God of, of the Bible, um, is a God who wants the slaves to be free and wants the oppressed to be taken care of and wants the, um, you know, just even in well, that's Luke, the text. That's the Luke text that, one, the Mary's magnificent that the lowly are going to be lifted up. And, well, in Luke four, that's the first text that Jesus yeah, yeah, reads yeah. in the synagogue is this passage from Isaiah. Yeah, that, I've come to set the oppressed free, bring recovery of sight for the blind. Right, right. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so I just feel like we have to figure out how do we call. How do we help people understand that that's the call that Jesus has for the church? Because I was going to say we call, but I don't think it's our call. I think it's his mission. Yeah. We're just trying to get people to understand his mission better. Okay. And and I think that 
that for too long, our church services, you know, I think it goes back to when we get together as God's people, how are we calling people to that lifestyle and that understanding and the songs that we sing and the, the prayers that we pray and the messages that we give? Um, because if they, if they aren't, they don't understand that this is a big deal to Jesus. Um, and they think it's just this personal, um, well, I said the prayer a long time ago. And, and if they think it's just this, if that's what we're, we're getting to is how many people can we, can we get there? Um, then I don't know that we're ever going to see the church be the, the force and what it could be. Of what it could be. Yeah. yeah that's a good way to say it. Okay, so remember how on the uh, the ESPN show Around the Horn at the end, they have people, or maybe it's PTI, they have someone say the things that they missed or they oh, the errors. up? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you said a little bit ago that Jesus didn't call people to believe. Okay. I'm going to agree with you. However, the people on our podcast that know their Bibles very well would say, you know, Jonathan's lifting up this passage from James, but the most important verse to me is John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is the verse that you see at football games, which is, again, a Christian sport. Tim Tebow, underneath the ice. Well, I think he does. Doesn't he do Philippians (laughs) or something like this? Well, anyway, so I would say to you, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, the poster board. Yeah, it's the poster board by the goalpost. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, Jeremy, it does seem like in John, Jesus says you should believe in him. Do you have any commentary on that? And just like what what Jesus is saying there, you know, in, in John and maybe I've got some ideas, but I wanted to put you on the spot because I was I was just as you were as you were saying, I was like, nah, there were definitely I mean, there is that one verse, you know, <laughs> it's that's by the it's at the games, you know what I'm saying? I think we have a um I would say it's a problem, get a little philosophical here, of a Western Enlightenment thought. And I think that um Belief, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, means a little bit different than belief in America in 2020. Post-Reformation. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, yeah. Did I get an A, professor? I love that answer. (laughs) I love that answer. I just, I was, no, I was genuinely, I don't know what you were going to say. I would, I, the, the thing that I, that I would, that I would say is, and, and, you know, Paul talks about belief in Romans, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. That's in Acts also, that idea of believing. But the thing is, in a Roman in a Roman context where you had to like confess what your religion was and believing in Jesus was the wrong answer. Right. When in that context, when you believed in Jesus, it actually meant something. And in, in North Revelation, America to believe in Jesus, it doesn't even mean anything. And I mean, in Revelation, just, if you didn't pay homage to the what to the God of whatever it meant you couldn't be in the market and buy and sell and you could like it affected everything about your life. And so the belief was, was how you were going to choose to, to be present in the world. And it had ramifications for your livelihood and what you did and what you didn't do to whereas now, if I say, I don't believe in Jesus, there's no, there's no, sacrifice like my life's probably not going to change a whole 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 lot yeah so for those people and even in the first uh church uh like in acts it it kind of has this feeling that if you said that you believe jesus was the messiah 
kind of like we understand that sometimes when a, a person of the Islamic faith says they believe in Jesus, their family disowns them yeah. and no longer right. is going to be a part of right. what they're doing. That's a great example. Same thing was happening for yep. these early believers that Thank when you. they believed that or, or said, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, the family was like, well, then you can no longer, you're no longer under the protection and under the safety of this family structure right. anymore. That's exactly. And right. so now the church becomes the place that takes care of the widows and the orphans because these people have been kicked out of their way of life and what that looks like. Right. And so to, to profess back then that Jesus is Lord, or you believe he's the Messiah or the one sent by God, um, had so many bigger um, implications implications for how they lived and what was going to happen to them. And right. it wasn't just, well, I go to this church and I do this. Like, no, no, this was going to change everything for you. It's going to change your life. It's going to change your ability to make money, your ability to buy stuff, your ability to do everything and or anything. And so I think that that's what maybe I would. I love that. That was, <laughs> that, was that was passion, Jeremy. Sorry. No, in closing, I, I, I really think that uh, the hope of the podcast today was really to just make you think. You know, it's okay every now and then to think to yourself, hey, is, is my marriage okay? Should I be checking up on my love with my wife? It's all right every now and then to think, hey, is my is my relationship with my kids okay? Should I spend some quality time with them? Right? I mean, these, like, we would think of other relationships and we ask ourselves the question, it's, you know, every now and then, hey, you know, how how is this going? And I think it's good for us as followers of Jesus to not just kick it into autopilot, but to ask it, ourselves the question, yeah. am I following Jesus? Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it for my sake. How in my life right now am I losing my life for his sake? I, yeah, and maybe close closing thought for me is we, we quote the verse, or some people quote the verse a lot of times when Jesus says, you'll always have the poor with you. And I think sometimes we, um, so when the lady dumped the perfume on him and the people got real mad, he's like, well, you're always going to have the poor with you, but what she has done is good and acceptable. And, and, and I think that we sometimes take that verse and say, See, Jesus said there's always going to be poor people. And I don't know that that was the point. I feel like the point was more of, if you're following after me, that just automatically assumes that you're going to be among the poor and the oppressed. And and you are going to always be with them in a way that is giving life to them and sustenance to them and 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 trying to make a difference in their life. And so it wasn't just Jesus saying, well, Jesus said there's always going to be poor people. Why should we do anything about yeah. it? There's always going to be poor people. And he's like, no, 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 no. I think it's more of a call that when you're following after me, you're always going to be among them. And at this point, she did what was good and great. But if you truly follow me, the poor will be okay too. This one sacrifice, this one what, perfume or whatever that, that could have been sold, the poor are going to be taken care of. Because guess what you're going to be doing with your life from this point forward is you're going to be among them. Well, and it's possible. It's very possible that the call to serve the poor from Jesus, maybe the primary goal of that is not the eradication of poverty. And that might have been one of the problems of the social gospel or maybe the the optimism of the early Nazarenes that was easily discouraged. The goal of Jesus' teaching us to care for the poor is not just to eradicate poverty from the earth, although that would be possibly a really good thing. Um, but the goal is holiness. The goal is that we might know God. And we know God by identifying with the poor. That is a truth that just, as you said earlier, that's a theme through Scripture. Identifying with the alien. 
identifying with the person that's marginalized, identifying with the widow and the orphan. This is how we know God in scripture, and it's a mystery. It's part of the mystery of our faith, but it's something that we need to not neglect in American Christianity in 2023. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Yeah.